So the book of Ephesians, I do need your prayers this morning. I want to spend some time in the sixth chapter, Ephesians chapter six. Welcome to the Grace and Mercy Hour, brought to you by Rocky Mount Church in Arab, Alabama. Rocky Mount Church is a primitive Baptist congregation, a family integrated church that seeks to worship God in spirit and in truth, a church that seeks to maintain the simplicity of New Testament worship. Thank you for tuning in. Please stay tuned at the end of the broadcast for contact information, and may the Lord bless our time together today. Ephesians chapter 6. It is a great help when we are able to get a little bit of background. We have a something, know something about the uh, setting when we read God's Word that sometimes is more difficult than at other times. It's always necessary, really, to, um, to know, of course, who is doing the writing, who they're writing to, and it is helpful to know something about their environment. I know we spend a lot of time in the book of Acts a good while ago, and and uh, remember we tried to, to get ourselves into the scene, put ourselves into the page. Uh, that's helpful. It really is helpful. Paul is writing this letter to a church at Ephesus. Church at Ephesus. Ephesus was a city much like every other city in, the, in that part of the world in that day. It was uh, full of Gentiles, but it also had a pretty good population of Jews. And as you read this book, you can see that Paul is writing to both Jews and Gentiles. It's not quite as obvious as it is when you read the book of Romans. But he is writing to this mixture of people within this congregation. And what a, what a beautiful thought that is. A congregation that is made up of all kinds of people from all kinds of walks of life, from different backgrounds, from different cultures perhaps, from different ethnicities, uh, different types of, of homes we've all come from, different financial uh, situations, every, all kinds of people mixed in together to come together as one body. At the beginning of this letter, Paul, he describes who he's writing to. He refers to them as the saints which are at Ephesus and to the faithful in Christ Jesus. And Paul didn't waste any time as he began to pin this letter down in reestablishing, I suppose, reminding the saints and faithful in Christ Jesus of the, the very foundation, the doctrines of grace. He says to them in that first chapter, he said, Blessed be the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. That's how Paul starts this letter. He just jumps right in to the, the very foundation, the doctrines of grace, sometimes we refer to them. Paul didn't, uh, he doesn't just stay there um, but he, he reminds this church, he reminds these faithful in Christ Jesus of who they were and where they came from. He begins the, 
well, they didn't have chapter and verse divisions back then, but as we begin the second chapter, Paul reminds them that they were dead in trespasses and in sins. He says, you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and in sin. And he reminds these saints at Ephesus and these faithful in Christ Jesus that they too walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, that they too walked according to the lusts of their flesh and of the mind, and that they were no different by nature, okay, by nature that they were no different than the children of wrath. He says we're by nature the children of wrath, the same, same as others. We all come into this world in the same way. This, this book of Ephesus, it's relatively short, again, especially as you compare it to the book of Romans. It's only six chapters, but it is so full of, of, of uh, just, just, it's just, just jam-packed full. You could look at it from kind of the first two or three chapters as, as very foundational doctrines, I guess you could say. And then he gets into some more practical things. In fact, in chapter 3 and on into chapter 4, he begins to remind the church how God has established the order of things and the structure of things. He tells them in the fourth chapter what the purpose of the gift of the ministry is. The gift of the ministry, these uh, prophets and apostles and evangelists and pastors and teachers. He reminds them of, of the gift that Christ gave to the church for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, and for the edifying of the body of Christ. And he goes on and, and elaborates a little bit more in detail of the purpose of the ministry. This, this letter is, is, is a full letter. It's a complete letter. We know that this church at Ephesus, if not already, probably after this letter, they were very grounded in the truth. It's the same church that we read about in, in, in Revelation chapter 2 when Christ is having John pin those letters down to send to those seven churches of Asia. And we see there the letter that Christ had John pinned down to the church at Ephesus that they were established in the truth. In fact, I think it was at the church at Ephesus, he said to them, if there were false apostles, those coming along who claimed to be apostles, they, they could prove them, they could test them, they could try them out. They knew, they could discern, they were so grounded in the truth, they could discern whether or not these apostles, so-called, were in fact real apostles. And there was something that they were lacking, and it's amazing really uh, when you read this letter, how in a short time that this church at Ephesus got to the point they were there when John penned Revelation down. This church at Ephesus, although they were grounded in the truth, although they could spot a false apostle a mile away, he said that over there that they had left their first love. They had left something off. I think they were so focused on truth and so focused on doctrinal things, perhaps, that they, and they became maybe pretty rigid, perhaps, perhaps rigid in their thinking, and they had left their first love. They had forgotten something. Okay, so there's a lot we could say about this church at Ephesus. Uh, this church, you know what? This church was a family-integrated church. You know how I know that? Because as you read this book, uh, this letter, uh, especially in chapter 4 and 5 and as you move on to chapter 6, you see that the Apostle Paul is addressing husbands. And then he addresses wives. And at the beginning of chapter 6, he addresses children. Now this letter, as it was written back then, it would have been delivered to the church. And someone, probably the pastor, 
who would have stood up and read this letter from Paul to the congregation. And in this letter, he's dealing, he's addressing husbands and wives and children. He goes on and he addresses servants and he addresses masters and he addresses all of these different ones. So what a beautiful place this must have been, a beautiful congregation, a mixture of, of young and old alike from all walks, from all backgrounds. Chapter 6. He says, beginning in verse 10, Finally, my brethren, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. As Paul is closing out this letter, he wants to finish out by preparing these saints at Ephesus and these faithful in Christ Jesus. He wants to prepare them for the battle battle of life. Life is often a battle, is it not? Well, for children of God, it is. It is a battle. There are sorrows, as we sang that one song, mixtures of joys and sorrows. There are blessings, there are curses. There are good times, there are times that are not so good. There are times of of rejoicing, and there's times of temptation. There's times that everything is going smooth, and then there are trials. That's the way life is, especially for the child of God. A lot of people out in the world, they don't experience that battle. They don't experience that battle within, and so they don't experience that battle in life. Paul says to these saints at Ephesus and to these faithful in Christ Jesus, he says, be strong in the Lord. Where is your strength this morning? Where is your strength? Have you looked other places to find strength? I bet you have on occasion. And it didn't turn out so well, did it? I bet there's been times you have looked within for your strength. Now, if you're looking within, looking for the Holy Spirit, <laughs> that's a good place to look. But if you're looking to your own abilities... If you're looking to your own wisdom, if you're looking to yourself for strength, you might be deceived for a little while thinking you found some, but it'll run out pretty quickly. It won't last long. Paul says to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. There's a few psalms that I made a, a note of that uh, we ought to go too often. Psalms 18, in fact, in fact, there's two or three verses. Let's just do that very quickly. Psalm 18, you don't have to turn there. I'm just going to read two or three verses. The 18th Psalm says this, I will love thee, O Lord, my strength. I will love thee, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my, listen to this, the Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my strength, in whom I will trust, my buckler, in other words, kind of like a shield. And the horn of my salvation and my high tower, I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from my enemies. That sounds like a song we sing, doesn't it? That's where it came from. The Lord is your strength. The Lord is your deliverer. He is your buckler. He is your shield. He is the, the horn of your salvation. He is that which protrudes forth, if you will, or is sounded forth, however you want to look at it, 
To, and, and proclaims salvation, proclaims deliverance. He is your deliverer. He is your deliverer for eternity. He is your deliverer for today. The Lord is my strength. We have every reason to praise Him and to trust Him because He is indeed our all in all. The apostle says, Be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God. There's some more songs, but for the sake of time, let's continue on. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Now, I was really thinking earlier in the week, even as late as Wednesday night, that um, I had so much on my mind concerning the gospel and the word of God and its purpose and the spread of the gospel. We, we went there last Wednesday and last Sunday and this past Wednesday, and there's so much more, that, and I fully intended to go there, but something changed along about Thursday morning after thinking that you know, I could relax the rest of the week because I had a whole bunch of notes already for my sermon, so I could, but I couldn't, something stirred me up, something um, motivated me to put my notes away, and it started about Thursday morning, and I didn't know why, because I really wanted to go back down that same path where I'd been going on that particular subject, but God uh, knows some things, and he knows in advance uh, things that we, that we don't know, and, and so this is where we are this morning. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wilds of the devil. What does that indicate to you when Paul says put on the whole armor of God? Does that indicate to you that there is a battle for which we should prepare? That there is a battle we're going to face? He says to put on the whole armor of God. Indicates some preparation needs to be made for the battle. He says that we may be able to stand against the wilds of the devil, the wiles of the devil, the methods of the devil, the ways that the devil works. And he's always coming up, you know, he's pretty creative. You know, you know that? First of all, you know he's real, don't you? You know the devil is real. If you don't believe the devil is real, you might as well not believe Christ is real or anything else is real. The Bible says as much about the devil being real, and we can be assured of what, let me put it this way, we can be assured by what the Bible says about the devil, we can be assured that that's just as real as everything else we read about. He is real. You've probably faced him a time or two, haven't you? I hope you didn't face him alone, and I hope you don't try to face him alone. You can't face him alone. We need the whole armor of God to stand against the wiles of the devil the methods, the, the cunning ways, the trickery, that's a good word for wiles, the deceitful manners by which he works, the wiles of the devil. If Paul is telling us to put on the armor of God, the whole armor of God, indicating that we ought to be preparing for a battle, well, he's just told us why, that we might stand that we can stand against the wiles of the devil. You know what the wiles of the devil will do? It'll knock you down. That's what Paul, that's the implication there. The devil will knock you down. And he is relentless in trying to knock you down. And you know, there are, let's read on. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities. You know, if the devil 
came to us like you see on a cartoon sometimes, that'd be, that'd be all right, wouldn't it? We could spot him. We could spot him a long ways off. We're not wrestling against, think about that word wrestle. It's not only a battle, but it's, it's a wrestling. Think of a wrestling match. And you know who is the, the victor? You know who wins the wrestling match? And it's especially true in that day. It's the one who can hold the other down by his neck. That's the one who wins the wrestling match. Holding the other one down by, the, by his throat. That's what the devil is trying to do. He is trying to hold you down. He's trying to knock you down and keep you down. And he says we're not wrestling against flesh and blood. Although the devil uses flesh and blood. Okay, are you, are you hearing me? He, he works in the lives of other people. And sometimes he might even work in my life to be a stumbling block for somebody else. Yes, he can do that. He'll, he'll make me fall and stumble so that you'll fall and stumble. We're not wrestling against flesh and blood, though, per se. He says, but against principalities, against powers. This is a spiritual battle, in other words. Spiritual principalities, spiritual powers against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. We're fighting against these spiritual and powerful beings. They're beings. The devil is one of them, and he's got a whole lot of others that follow him. This is not a fairy tale, y'all. This is not make-believe. Satan is real, and there are demons that follow him. And they're waging a war against you. They're waging a war against God. But they're waging, the, the battle is being fought against you. <coughs> Excuse me. Thank God. Thank God that I know who has the ultimate victory. Who has the final victory. Thank God that nothing can separate God's children from God. And that one day we will be safe at home, everlasting peace and rest. But that's hard to find while we live here in the world, isn't it? It's hard to find peace and rest. And one of the reasons it's hard to find peace and rest in this world is because the devil is always on the attack. And these spiritual powers, these spiritual beings who operate on principles of wickedness. They're constantly on the attack. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. And then he says again, verse 13, Wherefore take unto you the whole armor of God. The whole armor of God. We need the whole armor of God. That's how we prepare for battle. You don't go to battle preparing, you know, just, just prepare for battle just with one or two available weapons or pieces of armory or whatever. Whatever, you take everything that's available to you because sooner or later, and you may not need every piece of armor, and we're going to look at it in just a moment, you may not need every piece of armor in every single battle. But by having the whole armor of God, you'll be prepared for every battle that comes your way. Okay, so he says, Wherefore take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Paul is telling us, 
take the whole armor of God. You can withstand. You can. You can withstand the wiles of the devil. You can, not on your own, that's why I said, that's why I'm at the beginning of this little passage here, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. You cannot face the devil on your own. So he says now, verse 14, Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth. Let's take one of these, you know, each one of these as much time as we can. Your loins, your loins, that midsection that is where the strength of your body is. He says, gird that loin, those loins with truth. The, the, the picture here he's giving us is, you probably don't know what, a lot of you young people probably don't know what girt means, do you? Or gird. In those days, they, men, it was common to wear, well, I guess, what you would think of as a long robe. And that long robe, I guess, I guess it was comfortable, it, was, it looked nice or whatever, but it wasn't very um, practical. Because if you wanted to do some work, or you wanted to take off running... If you had to do much of anything at all, you had to take that, the bottom part of that long robe and, and gird it up, tie it up around you up, so you could move, so you could do something, so you could engage in some activity, so you could go to work, or and if necessary, you could take off running, <laughs> whatever you needed to do. That's the picture Paul is giving us. You gird your loins about with truth. I don't know. I, I think there's good reason that Paul kind of list this as one of the first pieces of armor. Truth. There is nothing, nothing should be higher on your priority than truth. I'll say it again. Nothing on your priority list should be higher than truth. Whether it's truth concerning what God says about the work His Son accomplished, the truth about how He saved your soul from hell, the truth about the church, the truth about anything, the truth about the cross, whether it's truth about those kind of foundational doctrines, if you will, or if it's simply truth in general, that which is true. Nothing should be higher on your priority than that which is true in every aspect of your life and on each and every occasion, in all of your thoughts, in all of your ways. Nothing is more critical than truth. Gird your loins about with truth. And the very heart, if you will, or the very strength of your body, if it's girt about, if it's wrapped up in truth, then you have a foundation to stand on. And if you allow truth to slip one, what's a good word for today? It used to be iota, micron, I don't know. If you let truth slip at all, then cracks begin to form in the foundation. And pretty soon the foundation begins to crumble. Gird your loins about with truth. He says, having on the breastplate of righteousness. We're talking about the whole armor of God. The breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate. It protects your most vital organs. You see, the devil, okay, the devil is on the attack, right? So you have this armor on. Around your midsection is truth. 
covering your most vital organs is, is righteousness. That which is right. A commitment to that which is right. It's similar to that which is true. A commitment to that which is right in every situation will protect your most vital organs, if you will, from being injured. Your heart, your lungs, your very life, the breastplate of righteousness, a commitment to that which is right. It will deflect. It will deflect the blows that Satan... He, you know, it, it may hurt, and it probably will hurt. You get hit in the midsection, it hurts. You get hit in the chest, it hurts. But if you've got armor on, if you've got the whole armor of God, you know what? You're going to survive that blow. You're going to survive. It may hurt indeed, but you're going to survive because it's the armor of God, the armor of truth and righteousness. And your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Your feet shod, your feet wrapped up in the gospel of peace. The manner in which you walk, your manner of life, if that is according to God's word, according to the gospel of peace, I tell you, if it's according to God's word, you'll find peace. And you'll be walking in peace. You'll be walking in peace. A commitment to truth, a commitment to righteousness, a walk in the gospel, a walk of peace. And he says in verse 16, above all, taking the shield of faith. The shield of faith. So now we have something in our, in our hand, on our arm, that it's not on our body, but it's, you know, we have something that we can deflect these attacks, these blows from Satan and these demons, these principalities and powers of darkness. It's our first line of defense, if you will. The shield of faith. I don't think that we, I, I don't know, maybe at times we, we forget. We kind of lose sight of just, just how powerful faith is. Faith is, it's a hard thing to kind of get, you, get your heart and mind around sometimes, isn't it? But because it's more than just, I believe. What it says it, I believe it. We're talking about faith, practical faith. Faith that allows us to withstand the battles of life. Faith that says, I not only believe what God's word says here, I believe that he is indeed my deliverer, my strength, my buckler, my horn of salvation, that he is my strong tower of defense. That he is my all in all, and I can withstand. I, I want to withstand, I can, by God's strength, by God's grace. This shield of faith that can deflect those blows of Satan. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. Did you hear that? All of the fiery darts of the wicked. You have... A, a defensive piece of armor that you think about darts. Okay, get the picture. Think about darts. They're usually relatively small, aren't they? Or at least they are nowadays. I don't know if they were any different than that day. I mean, they weren't like a spear, I don't think. They were small. They were darts. 
And, you know, if you see, a, you see somebody coming at you with a big spear, even a big sword, you know, you, you can see that. It's right there. It's obvious. You know exactly where to put that shield up. But what about darts? They're a little more difficult to, to, to see. The dart coming at you, you may not see it until it's right there on you. He says, the fiery darts of the wicked. This shield of faith that we have, walking by faith, trusting God and believing Him at His word and believing that He is, is going to fulfill every promise He's ever made, knowing that, we can, we can deflect even those little fiery darts. And if you've ever not seen a fiery, if you, if you haven't seen a fiery dart, if you missed it and, it and it got to you, you'll know it's fiery indeed. You'll know it's fiery indeed. You know why the, the, those fiery darts are, are even more dangerous? They're more likely to penetrate some of the armor or find the chinks in the armor or find the spots between the pieces of armor than the spear of the sword is, those little fiery darts. And sometimes they come in multiples, you know, the fiery darts. They're, just, they're relentless, just one right after the other. Above all, taking the shield of faith. Go, go back and read chapter 12 of Hebrews. And, or is it chapter 11, I'm sorry. And discover again, rediscover, it sounds like what I need to do, right? Rediscover what we are able, chapter 11, to able to do by faith. Read about all of the accomplishments, all of the battles that men and women of old were able to do by faith. The obstacles that they were able to overcome, the temptations they were able to withstand, the, the trials that they were able to, to live through by faith. By faith. So, take the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, verse 17, and take the helmet of salvation. I like this one. I like all of them. I like this one especially. The helmet of salvation. The helmet of salvation. What do you think about salvation this morning? In your mind real quickly, what do you think about salvation? What comes to mind when you hear salvation? You, you probably think of grace. You think of Christ, you think of what he accomplished on the cross, maybe you think of some things like redemption, maybe forgiveness of sins. You think of deliverance, the helmet of salvation, it's on your head, right? Helmet, that's where you wear the helmet, it's a helmet of salvation, if I think long enough about salvation, it doesn't take very long, but if I think long enough about salvation, you know, because my attention span is very short, like yours is, we all have a pretty short attention span, don't we? I mean, you, we think for about two minutes on something, and then we move on, especially, you, well, no, sorry, not. But y'all are more guilty of it, I think, than some of us older. But some of us older people have adopted your ways because, you know, we're, we have that blue screen in front of us a lot of times too. And our attention span it gets real short. So we think about something for about two minutes and then we move on. That's the way we do. But if you think about salvation a little bit longer than a couple of minutes, maybe you'll begin to think about where you were. 
Where you were without the Lord. Where you came from. What you were without Christ. Maybe you'll think about where you would be without Him. Maybe you'll think about all those times that, that He delivered you and you weren't even aware of Him. Maybe you'll think about His providence in your daily life. You'll think more than a couple of minutes about salvation. Maybe you'll think about how God has placed people in your life and He has worked deliverance in your life through them. If you'll think just more than a couple of minutes about salvation, maybe you'll begin to meditate on what you are now. And then you can meditate on what you're going to be and where you're going to be one day. The helmet of salvation when you think about what you were and by God's grace what you are and by His mercy where you're going to be, that will protect your mind. If you'll never forget where you were and who you are, you're a child of the King. That will protect your mind from being attacked. and It won't protect it from being attacked, but it will protect it from being invaded. The attack's going to be there. It will protect your mind from being penetrated by perhaps those fiery darts. It will protect your mind from becoming so influenced and so corrupted by the ways of the world. The helmet of salvation. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit. I guess you could think about that sword um, as both an offensive and defensive weapon. You can use it for defensive maneuvers if you need it, but there is certainly an aspect of a, a sword where, where we go on the offense. Go on the offense. There are times we need to be on the offense. And I think you know what I mean. We're not talking about going out and offending people. We're talking about on the offense. You know what is, you know what is better? I mean, think about it. Are you more comfortable sitting back? You've got the whole armor on. And you've got your shield. And you've got your sword. The sword, which is the word of God. The word of God. Are you more comfortable kind of just sitting back waiting for the next attack to come along? Or, as we started out with, do we feel, do we really feel to be strong enough in the Lord and the power of His might to go out on the offense, on the offensive? Now, I'm not recommending that you go out and attack Satan. You don't have to do that. But what I am recommending is that we need to be active in attacking the principalities and powers of darkness in this world. To be on the attack. And if you're strong in the Lord and the power of His might, you have the ability to do that. You have His Word as your sword. You don't have to back down. And you don't have to turn around and just sit back and, and wait for the world to attack you. You can go on the offensive at times. That's why we need wisdom, I suppose. We need discernment to know which 
defensive or offensive, which posture we need. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Perhaps the most important, verse 18, praying always with all prayer and supplication. Paul has told us that we need the whole armor of God. He's preparing us for the battle. And in fact, he's telling us, he, he's, he tells us we have all that we need available to us to withstand, to defend ourselves, and also at times to go on the offensive. No matter what the situation is, and mixed in and mingled in, in, in every event, is prayer. Praying always. If we're on the battlefield, always, and we are, we need to be praying always. Because prayer connects us with the commander, right? <laughs> he is the commander. If we're in battle, we need a leader, we need the commander, and we have direct access to him through prayer. Praying always with all supplication, in all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. I hope you're not like me, but we're all probably... Pretty much, we're, we're in pretty much the same boat. Some of us are in the middle and some of us are around the edges, but we're all in the same boat. But if you're like me, I pray, and then I just kind of go on my merry way. And if you ask me maybe an hour later, I don't know if I could tell you what I prayed for. Now, you're not like that, are you? And I'm glad you're not. So it's confession time for the pastor. Maybe an hour or so later, I'm not sure I can tell you what I prayed for. You know why? Because I didn't meditate on the prayer. I didn't watch thereunto with all perseverance. I didn't persevere after I prayed. Now, we're, we ought to, I guess there's a sense in which we persevere in prayer, but it seems like to me the sense is that we pray and then we, we walk in perseverance, watching, watching and waiting and looking and expecting. In, in my mind, I think, well, I prayed. Now I can, you know, God will take care of it and I'll just go on. Well, yeah, you may say, well, that's, that's because I have so much faith in him. So I don't think about it anymore. That, that's not really the way it's supposed to be. We're to be watching there unto, he says, with all perseverance and supplication, for all saints. Now, why did he say for all saints? He's been talking about the armor of God and all these things that we have available at our disposal to use, to put on, to withstand the wiles of the devil, to fight the battle every day. I alluded to it just a little bit ago. It might very well be that, well, there's no might to this. Your, your brother, your sister, the one sitting beside you, behind you, in front of you, all those around you, you know what? They're in the same battle. They're fighting the same battle. So let's fight the battle side by side. Let's fight it alongside one another. And if we're doing that, then we certainly need to be persevering and watching thereunto after we've prayed and praying for one another because it might be that God is going to provide him what you need 
in the next battle that comes along and you're side by side and he's got your back, he, you've got his, God's working that way. He works that way. We need to be praying for one another and watching thereunto as we pray for others to see, you know, the answer to our prayer could come from any direction, right? It could come from any direction. He might even, he might, you young people, he might even, he might even use your parents to answer your prayers. What about that? Young people, he might use your parents to reveal to you what you need to be praying for. But it can work the other way, too. Parents, you need to be watching thereunto concerning your children because it might be there's an indication in your children's lives about what you need to be praying for. So, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. That's not the end of the sentence, but it's the end of the sermon. We have the whole armor of God. We have it at our disposal. We need to put all of it on. We need to be constantly walking in the power of His might, in the strength of the Lord, that we would withstand these fiery darts and these deceitful ways of the devil. Not only to protect our hearts and our minds, but, but our very lives. Thank you again for listening. Rocky Mount Church is a primitive Baptist congregation located near Arab, Alabama. We invite you to look us up on the web at rockymountpbc.org. That's rockymountpbc.org. You'll find various resources there on our website, as well as additional links to other primitive Baptist sites. You'll find contact information there, and we would love to hear from you. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Thank you again for listening. We look forward to the next opportunity we can spend some time together. May the Lord bless you, is our prayer. Amen.